Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. I'm not a huge fan of the remote, but I keep going for it. There we go. Merry Christmas. Um, A couple weeks ago, I sat at my dining room table um, with this wooden statue of Mary from my nativity that had just come crashing to the floor. Um, And I sat there with some wood glue, um, and I sat there staring at the statue, and all I kept thinking was, why Mary? Why couldn't it have been a shepherd or a king? I have more than one of those. Why was it Mary? Um, And I sat there looking at her because this is definitely not the first time, and I don't think it'll be the last time, that I have had to fix Mary. Um, And she's surrounded by cracks and breaks and definitely some missing pieces um, and even bubbled up spots from using the wrong kind of wood glue. And I thought to myself how perfect of a picture this was of life in 2020. The truth is, many of us feel like our arms and our legs are barely glued on enough to get us through the next day. It feels like we're carrying around the weight of the world on our shoulders. I recently watched um, a Saturday Night Live sketch where one of the actors broke character and she kind of lost it. And the person that was on stage with her was like, what's going on with you? And she said, it feels like we've been living in a dark tunnel and there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but that light is just showing us how dark and dingy the tunnel that we've been living in is. The number of memes and t-shirts and jokes depicting 2020 is astounding, and I wanted to share with you a couple of my favorites this morning. 2020, very bad, would not recommend. 2020, the Monday of years, see also dumpster fire. Even this Christmas, many of our own church family woke up without electricity. It just feels like things are very bad. It feels like the lights have been shut off on us. It feels like earth was picked up like a toddler having a tantrum and has just been kind of tossed and thrown around. In my lifetime, I can't think of another collective experience that has brought our entire world crashing to the floor like my Mary did the other day. Researchers, doctors, pastors alike are all very concerned about the effects that this pandemic is having on all of us. From our young to our old, our experiences have not all been the same. Some of us have experienced tremendous loss. Some of us have been sick. Some of us are scared. Some of us have anxiety. Some of us are broke. Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us are lonely. And some of us just really, really want life to go back to the way that it was. We've had to pick up our lives and move in a direction that we were never asked to move in before. It feels like we've all kind of scooped up the details of our everyday life and we're just holding them there until someone tells us that we can start putting them down again. I can't think of a better time to need a savior to step in and redeem this situation. There are moments throughout history that remind me about what we're walking through. Periods of time where the stage seems to go dark and there's a lot of uncertainty. We find in our Bibles the end of the Old Testament marked by Malachi, and then the beginning of the New Testament marked by Matthew. Now there's only a few pages that separate these two books of the Bible, but these are actually 400 years that set the stage for the narrative that's to come in the Gospel. 
And throughout these 400 years, they're actually referred to as the 400 silent years. And that's because for these years, there are no new words spoken. No prophets are giving words. No dreams are given. There's no record of any miraculous things happening at all. And a lot takes place in those 400 years. Empires rise, empires fall. The common language begins to change. People's spiritual lives begin to change. And the way that things were before are no longer. Imagine living life one way and then suddenly everything changes. But this period of silence sets the stage for what God is about to do. When the stage goes dark, pieces begin to move into place and people get into position, and God begins to do what only he can do. I believe that through everything that we've been walking through and everything that we continue to walk through, that God is using it to let his light shine. We serve a God who is faithful to keep his promises, who when he makes a promise, he will drastically and dramatically rescue us. When we walk through uncertainty, we can be assured that our God is faithful to keep his promises. Now, in our God's rescue plan, he likes to use ordinary people whose hearts are tuned into him to bring forth redemption. His desire is to partner with humanity. It always has been his desire to partner with humanity to bring his rule and reign to this earth. And I can't think of a greater example than this, than the way that God uses women to bring forth redemption. Now, think of it this way with me. When God created Adam, it says that he was created in the image of God. So he's a perfect reflection of who God is. When God creates Eve, he actually pulls pieces of Adam out to create woman. He doesn't come up with new attributes and new characteristics. He pulls very specific pieces and, and things out of man to form woman. Eve is not an afterthought. She's actually an exclamation mark because God chooses to accentuate certain parts of his creation when he creates woman. The way that God uses women, we can see his plan and his desire to partner with humanity to bring redemption to the dark places in our lives. Galatians 4, 3 through 7 says this, In the same way when we were children, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But then when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, Paul is writing this letter to Galatians, and his intention with this letter um, is because there's these teachers that are trying to get this church to go back to this lifestyle of having to uh, perform and obey and make sacrifices. You see, in the Old Testament, the only way to gain right standing with God was through obedience and sacrifice. And so Paul is trying to remind these folks that it's not because of anything you've done. Your obedience is not going to move the ball along for redemption. Redemption comes because at just the right time, God brings it. And this idea of having to sacrifice and obey was true throughout those 400 silent years as well. But at least in the Old Testament, angels and prophets would have words to speak to these people to remind them that he was with them. So you can imagine throughout this time, these silent years, that the people of God wondered just what they had to do and how they had to make the rescue happen. And so Paul is reminding them that it has nothing to do with what you're doing. It has to do with God's perfect timing. 
Because at the determined time, at just the right time, at the moment that the fulfillment of time has come, God sends his son Jesus to be our redemption. The access to God is only granted because of God's perfectly timed rescue. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoptions as sons. The NIV says it this way, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive sonship. At just the right time, God begins to reset the stage. The timing of God is perfect. The rescue of God is eminent. And when the stage goes dark, God begins to move pieces and people into position. There are so many things that happen behind the scenes that oftentimes we don't know about. God doesn't just make us wait for waiting's sake, but he uses all of the movements and all of the changes to further advance and bring forth his plans. So during these 400 years of silence, a lot takes place. The Hebrew scriptures are translated into Greek, and so for the first time, other non-Jews are in a position to receive God. And uh, with all the political and the religious unrest that's taking place, there's a sense of readiness and eagerness to know who the true God was. During those 400 years, the stage was being perfectly set to receive a Savior. Now, I love Luke's uh, gospel, and the reason that I love it is because he's a doctor, and so when he crafts his gospel, he's very precise, and he's very careful with what he puts in, in his words. And when we read the scriptures, we have to remember that they're written by human hands, but they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so that means that every word, every sentence, every paragraph, every little bit in there is intentional. There's nothing extra. And I love everything that Luke includes in his gospel. So in Luke chapter 1, we meet Zechariah. We've heard a little bit about him over the last couple weeks as Pastor Mike's been preaching, but Zechariah is a priest, um, and in those days, being a priest had a lot more to do with your family line than it had to do with your occupation choice after high school. And so there's a lot of priests, and the way that they would determine their roles and their jobs was they would cast lots. So Zechariah gets picked to go into the temple and burn incense, and he's never done this before. This is the first time. But when he goes in, he encounters something very unexpected, and he meets the angel Gabriel. Now, you can imagine this is a very shocking situation, because for 400 years, nothing like this has happened. Um, And the angel tells him not to be afraid, and he says that your prayers have been answered. So Zachariah is probably wondering just which prayer has been answered. And then he's told that his wife Elizabeth will conceive a child. Now, this is very shocking because Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are very advanced in their years, and they've never been able to conceive before, and so the idea that it could happen now seemed 100% impossible. How could this possibly be true? Zechariah wants answers. And so the angel Gabriel tells him all that his son will be. He tells him uh, lots of blessings over his son, but then he tells Zechariah that he will be unable to speak, and a lot of scholars believe also unable to hear, to demonstrate that at just the right time these things will come to pass. 
So when Zechariah comes out um, from burning the incense, the people of God are waiting for him to receive their blessing, but he can't speak. And so there's a sense of knowing that something happened in the temple, but they don't know just what happened. And his wife Elizabeth is, is probably there as well, wondering just what the heck had just happened to her husband. Um, and so after a few days, Zechariah finishes his priestly duties, and he and his wife go home, and they conceive their son. Now, we don't know how Zechariah tried to communicate in those years. We don't know if he jumped up and down wildly, like, we got to get home, we got to get home. Or if Elizabeth had any idea what was about to take place. But here's what I love about this story, is that God could have 100% provided a baby in the temple that day. I imagine Zechariah walking out like the Lion King, carrying a baby. Here it is. But he doesn't do that. God decides to heal Elizabeth's womb. God decides to use all of the broken pieces in their family's life to bring redemption and restoration. Scripture tells us that Elizabeth was barren. The weight of infertility rested squarely on her shoulders. A woman's ability to conceive meant everything in those days, and truthfully, it means a whole lot today as well. And so Elizabeth has been walking around with shame and just kind of feeling like an outsider because she's been unable to have a baby. So by God sending Gabriel to tell Zechariah to tell this family that they would conceive, he brought healing to a situation that seemed hopeless. At just the right time, God steps in. The stage had gone dark. All hope was long gone as they were in their later years. But when the stage grows dark, God begins to move people and pieces into position. God healed Elizabeth's womb. He declared complete healing over her body and over her family. But the healing wasn't immediate because babies take time to grow inside of a woman. And so with each day passing, the miracle is growing. The plan of God is becoming clearer and clearer. Luke 1, 25 and 26 says this. Oop. There we go. I'll read it from here. Oh, there we go. When Zechariah, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, we don't know what those first five months were like for Zechariah and for Elizabeth, um, but I'm a mother, I have four kids, so I can tell you that for those first couple months, Elizabeth probably wondered if everything that she was feeling, all the symptoms, if they were actually real. There's no sonograms in those days. There's no way to confirm that she's actually pregnant. But I would imagine that with every ache and every pain, with all the tiredness, with all the hunger, with all the moodiness, with all the food aversions, that everything that she was feeling, she probably questioned and wondered if she actually felt that way. But by the fourth or fifth month, you begin to feel these little butterfly flutters. By the fourth or fifth month, you feel these kicks of life. This couple knows in the first five months without a shadow of a doubt that God has breathed life into Elizabeth's womb. God has removed all shame. God is beginning to restore. All the years of praying and hoping have been redeemed. Not a single tear or fear that Elizabeth felt was wasted. Because when God sets the stage, there's complete healing. When God sets the stage, there's complete redemption. What, what, what once was is no longer. Elizabeth is no longer barren. Her reputation has changed and her future is secure. And here's Elizabeth's response. She says, the Lord has done this for me. 
In these days, he has taken away my disgrace among the people. The Passion says it this way. She said with joy, see how kind it is of God to gaze upon me and take away the disgrace of my barrenness. Elizabeth praises God even before the miracle is complete. She declares with joy that she has been healed because she understands that when God makes a promise, he's faithful to complete what he promises. God is asking that we continue to praise him while he's creating life. He's looking for people who will continue to fix their eyes on him, even though our circumstances have not yet completely changed. The book of Chronicles tells us that the eyes of the Lord are constantly looking to and fro for hearts set on him. Because at just the right time, silence will end. And at just the right time, words will be spoken that bring healing and restoration. Now, around the fifth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, we meet Mary. I don't know why I imagine Mary this way, but Mary's hanging laundry in my narrative, so bear with me. So Mary is seemingly insignificant and a plain woman, but she's found favor with God. And so she's hanging her laundry, and the angel Gabriel comes to meet with her, and he says, Mary, you are highly favored. And uh, Mary at this time is engaged to Joseph, and engagement during those days was just was a, as big of a commitment as marriage. And so the only difference is they're not allowed to be alone together. But they're committed. She belongs to Joseph. Joseph belongs to her. They are committed to one another. And so Mary receives this message from Gabriel, and I just imagine her wild-eyed, wondering what is going on. Imagine an angel of God telling you that you are highly favored, that God has delight in you. Now, we don't know the cadence in which the angel spoke to her. Um, I would imagine there are pauses and breaks in everything that he shares, and he doesn't just dump all of this on her. Um, And one of the things he says to her is that she will have a baby. Now, as I mentioned, being able to conceive is a lifeline for women in these days, and so in just one sentence, Mary's future is secure. But I imagine she's standing there as the angel continues, wondering if what he was talking about was happening now or if it was down the road. And she kind of pieces it together that this is not a far away plan. This is a living and active plan. This is a plan that's about to start kicking and breathing inside of her. And Mary, as she's being told of the miracle that God wants to use her for, she puts the pieces together and she determines over time that her position with God, being highly favored, would allow her to do whatever was being asked of her, even if that meant changing the entire trajectory of her life. When she hears that even her barren cousin Elizabeth is expecting, she hears these words from the angel Gabriel. Not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary responds this way, This is amazing. I will be a mother for the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. Now, as I mentioned, Luke is very careful with what he puts in this narrative. And so there's no mention of what Mary's going to do about the whole Joseph situation. There's no mention of a secret meeting. There's no mention of a note being left. There's no mention of a letter that's been passed. There's just this sheer trust that the one who called her, his delight will be faithful. The one who found favor in her would be faithful to complete what he promises. And now Joseph had every right to divorce Mary. He had every right to shame her and in some laws even have her put to death. And Mary, knowing all of this, still is able to declare, let it be to me as you have said. Mary knew that pieces were being put together. 
that even though she had no idea how it was working out, she knew that though she was walking blindly by faith, that when the stage grew dark, that God was moving people and pieces into position. And Mary, similarly to her cousin Elizabeth, begins to praise and worship. Now, it blows my mind to think that the God of the universe would choose this plan to bring the redemption of mankind, that he would humble himself to be an infant who would need a mother's care in this world, to think that the stage had begun to be set way back when he created Eve. There's no mention or study that says that Jesus was a superhuman baby that was above breastfeeding and diaper changing. He came as an infant, an infant who would need to be held an infant who would need to be cared for, an infant that would need his mother. God sent his own son to grow and form inside of Mary. He used female anatomy and design to bring forth his plan of redemption. And the reason this is such a beautiful picture is because it shows us that our God's desire is for us to be carriers of his presence. This is a beautiful picture of a mother pregnant with a baby, something only that women can do. But the intentionality here is that God wants to dwell inside of each of us. He wants us to be carriers of his presence. God wants to dwell in us. Because as Galatians says, we have received his spirit and we have been adopted. We are now carriers of the presence because of the birth of Jesus. When the stage goes dark, God begins to set the stage Pieces move into place, people get into position, and as we wait, ready for the curtain to get drawn back, life can begin to grow inside of us. Hope can come alive. Joy can fill us with butterfly kicks. Healing will begin to grow. Redemption can come forth. Our future will be secure, but not because of anything we have done, but because at just the right time, God will bring rescue. Now, one of my favorite verses is found in Luke, and one of the reasons I love it is because when you think about how intentional it is for Luke to include everything he includes in his gospel, you have to, it, it becomes all the more beautiful. It says, but Mary treasured up these things in her heart. Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. When I think about this, what must have been said about Mary as Luke wrote his narrative, it just strikes me so much because what must have been said about her that he thought so intentional to include this? I would guess that Mary, just like you and I, needed to remember the words that God spoke to her. She's just been given birth. She's surrounded by animals and strange men. And so she needs to remember the words that were spoken over her. So here she is pondering and thinking and treasuring the words. And in one sense, I see this as her just being a mother, wanting to remember the firsts. But in a broader sense, I see this as her pondering and treasuring. She's saying to herself constantly, I don't know how Elizabeth got pregnant. I don't know how this happened, but she's healed. I don't know why I gave birth in a stable. I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I am highly favored. I am a delight to the Lord. You see, the same Greek word that's been used to translate treasured, to treasure up these things, is the same Greek word that's used in Matthew and Mark to, that means preserved and protected. Mary preserved and she protected the words that were spoken over her. And as she preserved and protected those words, it preserved and protected her. We sing this song at Christmas time called Mary, Did You Know? And I think Mary knew a whole lot because here we find when it's time for Jesus to be dedicated an encounter with a man named Simeon. 
And so we find new mother, sleep-deprived Mary, and her husband Joseph going to the temple. And Simeon is a righteous man, and similarly to Elizabeth and Mary, he's been given a promise to hold on to. It had been revealed to him that before he died, he would see the Christ. And so you can imagine Simeon every day just waiting, is today the day? Is today the day? Is today the day? And today was the day. And so he approaches Mary, and he looks specifically at her. He talks specifically to her, and he tells her all that Jesus is destined to do and become. He tells her of his rises and his falls. And now as a new mother, I would have 100% wanted to punch this guy's lights out. But here's Mary, ever pondering, ever treasuring, ever thinking about the promises spoken over her, and she could take all of it. You see, there's no mention that God, that Mary locked Jesus up and never let him out of her sight. There's no mention that she uh, was panicked and worried. She didn't enter into anxiety when she heard everything that Simeon had said. There's just this sheer trust because God wants us to keep his plans on our hearts. God wants us to keep our hearts on him while we wait for the curtain to be pulled back. Will you keep this message on your heart? that at the fullness of time had come that God sent his son to be born of a woman so that he might redeem you. When the fullness of time comes, God rescues and he redeems. Friends, God is never late. He moves at just the right time. And while we wait for this season of craziness to be over, would you hold in your heart that you have been adopted as a child of God and you are his delight? Now, as I was preparing for this sermon, it was in the midst of life. Um, you know, trying to work as full-time as possible, homeschooling, four kids, Christmas time, a snowstorm, this guy in seminary, uh, you know, just life. And so my daughter is coming up to me, and she's asking me, Mommy, can we please, 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 please wrap Christmas presents? And after the fourth or fifth time of her asking, in my frustration, I snapped at her, and I said, Honey, I totally want to wrap presents with you, but it has to be in the right time. Friends, the Father is saying something similar to us this morning, but it's not out of frustration. He's telling you that when it's time, it's time. When he makes a promise, he is faithful to complete it. Today, would you hear the voice of your Father saying that he knows the right time? We have a God who, when he makes a promise, he is faithful to complete it even in the generations to come. We can be assured today that our God is faithful. Today, would you ponder the way that Mary did? Would you treasure the way that Mary did? Mary thought about this plan. She wondered about it. She kept it close to her heart. So much so that when she meets Simeon and he tells her of the sacrifice, of the rejection, she could remain faithful. She didn't know how, what, when, or why, but she knew at just the right time, God would be faithful. Our God is faithful. I don't know how, what, when, or why this pandemic will end, but I know that one day it will. I don't know how the pieces in your life will get glued back together, and the truth is, we don't know how. We just need to know that God is. He is healing you. He is redeeming you. He is bringing perfect provision and wholeness and restoration. And I was thinking about it this way. Oftentimes when women give birth, they go home on the second or third day. Well, friends, it's been a couple days since Christmas. It's time to bring this message home. It's time to give it a place on our heart and wonder and ponder about what God is doing. You are his delight. Let's pray together.
guys could uh, come to your feet. Ashley said twice, I think. I don't know if she intentionally meant to, but she said sheer trust. Sheer trust. My prayer for us today is that God would birth in us sheer trust for him. So if you just bow your heads and let me pray. Father God, we... We've tried to walk by ourselves. We've tried relying on ourselves. We've tried relying on others. And as much as we might hold up for a bit, and that might work out for some time, ultimately things fall apart because the only one we're supposed to be holding on to, the place where our eyes were designed to always be locked on, was with Jesus and is with Jesus. God, I, I pray for every heart in this room, every heart tuning in online. Lord, would you birth in us a sheer trust for you? Even when we look around and all we see is darkness, even when we look around and all we see is uncertainty, God, would we be willing to have faith in not just what's seen, but what's unseen? We thank you for being a God that doesn't waste any of the pieces of the story. That is so creative that he can make it all come together and all for his glory. Lord, we just praise you for being intentional with us, knowing every intricate detail of our hearts, for calling us your sons, for calling us your daughters, for not wanting to go a single day more apart from us. I just pray for the, the down at heart, Lord. I pray for those who are sad, who are burdened, Lord. Would they be able to lift their burdens up to you today, God? Would you fill us with the strength that can only come from you? Would you set a fire down in our souls, Lord. Yeah, God. We don't want to rush past what you're doing. We slow down to see you, to be with you, to receive the gift that you are giving to us every day. Life in its fullness. We seal what you are doing and we ask for more, more as we head into 2021. May this be a year where we walk and live in sheer trust for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Amen.